praise God. All right, we need to get into the Word of God quickly. Thank you, Sarah, for worship this morning. We need to uh, go to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 13. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 13. Begin reading from uh, verse 1. On the same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the sea. And great multitudes were gathered together to him, so that he got into a boat and sat, and the whole multitude stood on the shore. Then he spoke many things to them in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell by the wayside, and the birds came and devoured them. Some fell on stony places where they did not have much earth, and they immediately sprang up because they had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up and they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprang up and choked them. But others fell on good ground and yielded a crop, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And the disciples came to him and said, Why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered and said to them, Because it has been given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For whoever has, to, to him more will be given, and he will have abundance. But whoever does not have, even that which he has will be taken away from him. Therefore I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand, and in them the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled, which says, Hearing you will hear and not understand, seeing you will see and not perceive, for the hearts of this people have grown dull, their ears are hard of hearing, and their eyes have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, lest they should understand with their hearts and turn, so that I should heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For assuredly I say to you that many prophets and righteous men desired to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. Therefore hear the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, then the wicked one comes and snatches away that which was sown in his heart. This is he who has received seed by the wayside. But he who has received the seed on stony places, this is he who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures only for a while. For when tribulation or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he stumbles. Now he who receives seed among the thorns is he who hears the word, and the cares of this word, and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and he becomes unfruitful. But he who receives seed on the good ground is he who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and produces some a hundredfold, some sixty and some 30. Amen. Now, Jesus, as you see, uh, he was standing preaching to a multitude. He pushed the boat a little out from the shore, sat down, and fanning out on the hillside before him was this great crowd of people, and he began to preach. And he preached a series of seven parables. That's all. A series of seven parables and each parable actually was speaking about the same thing, about the kingdom of heaven. That's all that it was about. And man, basically man's 
reception or rejection of the kingdom of heaven and how man would deal with that. And so the word parable is mentioned some 48 times in the first three gospels and it's implied twice in Hebrews and nowhere else in the New Testament. And the word is parabole and parabole uh, means something that's placed alongside, to, to sit beside, to, to lay it beside. And so it's a teaching where something is laid beside something so that you can compare or contrast and receive a spiritual lesson. As somebody always says, it's an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. And that's not a bad uh, description. And so Jesus now is doing this and parables, Jesus was the, I suppose he was the exponent of parables par excellence. Nobody could tell a parable like Jesus. Now, he didn't invent parables. There's plenty of them in the Old Testament. But when it came to teaching parables, he was absolutely brilliant at it. And, but he did it for a reason. Now, most believers would say, well, I, I suppose it was to make his teaching understood easily. You know, who doesn't like a good illustration? I mean, if you give a good illustration, then people can instantly see that. And if you think that's the reason why he taught parables, you'd be entirely wrong. That was not his reason for it. He had a far, far better and deeper reason to do it. Now, Matthew 13 is a pivotal point in the public ministry of Jesus. A pivotal moment here. Because from this point onwards, now he's about almost at the end of his second year of public ministry, he's about to enter into the third and final stage of public ministry. And so from this point onwards, Wherever there's a crowd he's going to preach to, not in the synagogue, but outside when there's a big multitude, he's going to only preach in parables from this point on. Why would he do that? What would be the reason? Well, listen closely, and I'll give you what the secret of the parable is. The religious establishment who hated Jesus from day one, the Pharisees and the scribes, the religious establishment, and they took every opportunity to denounce him and to denigrate him. And in fact, it's got worse and worse. And so now you're coming to almost a fever pitch. And in fact, in the chapter before, it actually says that they plotted to kill him. Such was their vitriol and hatred against Jesus. And every time there was a crowd gathered where Jesus was going to preach then, there would be these Pharisees and scribes who would mingle among them and they would hackle Jesus and they would interrupt him and they would ask him questions and they would argue with him and they would debate and, and they just wanted to be disruptive and they, they didn't like what Jesus stood for. They hated him as a person and now he's the most popular preacher in the whole country and they hate him even more. And multitudes are following him and they were so intensely jealous of this ministry that he had that multitudes would flock to hear him. They weren't flocking to hear them. And so they took every opportunity. In fact, in the previous chapter, had we read it, you'll see that Jesus is walking through a cornfield with his disciples. And it was a Sabbath day and they took some of those grains and they rubbed them in their hands and ate them. And that was a big, big offense to the Pharisees because that upset their, their petty man-made rules of the Sabbath. And so they, they fought against Jesus for that. And then he was in the synagogue on the Sabbath day and he healed the man with a withered hand. And you'd think they'd be glad for that. But no, they took opportunity again to fight and to argue about the Sabbath, him breaking the Sabbath rules. Well, it wasn't God's Sabbath rule. It was their Sabbath rules he was breaking. 
And then even worse than that, he cast devils out of a man who was dumb and blind and suddenly the man could see and he could speak. Now you would think they would be ecstatically joyful about seeing that such a, a notable miracle, but instead, instead they says, well, he does this by the power of Beelzebub, the prince of devils. That's where he's getting his power from. And so you can see at this point, Jesus decided, well, if they're going to be in the crowd, I'm going to preach in parables. Now here's the secret of the parable. A parable can reveal the truth and conceal the truth at the same time. It can reveal the truth and conceal the truth at the same time. Everybody, when Jesus gave a parable, everybody understood the illustration. I mean, it was mainly a farming community. So when he talked about seed sowing or mustard seed and except a seed of corn fall on the ground and die it by his alone, they understood that. Uh, if he talked about the dragnet in one of the other parables in that chapter, uh, and the, the fishing community, they would understand what a dragnet is, so that wasn't the issue. It was the deeper meaning of that. It was what he was really getting at. And so only the spiritually hungry, only those who were genuine seekers of truth, only they would get the meaning because they would wonder about it and they'd pray about it and say, what is Jesus really trying to teach us here? I understand about seed sowing, that's not it. What's the deeper meaning? But those who were just there for the day out, those who didn't interest in his word at all, who were cold and indifferent to this word, those who maybe wanted to see a miracle or something spectacular, and particularly the Pharisees, who no matter what he said, they were against anyway, who did not want his truth then it would go right over their heads because they wouldn't be seeking after the truth. They wouldn't want to know what the truth is. In fact, they wouldn't even know what it is if it slapped them up the face. So Jesus took truths and he hid them in parables that only the hungry, only the seekers, only those who were desperate to find out what he was saying, only they would actually catch what he was saying. And so we come now to the teaching of the parables. And in this particular parable, this is the king of all parables. Uh, in fact, Jesus said in Mark 4, if you can't understand this parable, how are you going to understand any parable? So this is a key parable. And when you come to this parable, it's a, it's a terrific parable, and he explains it. He gives us the luxury of explaining it because the disciples were asking, well, why are you teaching parables? And then he explains the whole parable to them. Now, there's three elements to this parable, isn't there? There's the sower, there's the seed, and there's the soils. And the seed is the word of God. Who's the sower? The sower is anybody who's sowing the word of God. That could be the preacher, it could be the pastor, it could be a minister, it could be a teacher, it could be an evangelist, it could be somebody out in the street giving out tracts or standing on the street corner and open air preaching. It could be you speaking to your family members or your work colleagues, sharing scriptures with them. Anybody who's taking the word of God and proclaiming it whatever way they proclaim it, they are the sower of the word. And then there's the soils. And there's four different types of soils. And really, even though we call it the parable of the sower, actually it could be called the parable of the soils because the soils is the key thing in the parable. I mean, in the whole parable, the seed's the same, the sower's the same, but it's the soils that are different. And so the soils represent the hearts of men and women, how they receive or don't receive spiritual truths, the word of God. That's what the parable really is 
about. So let's have a look at this particular parable and let's look into it a little bit more carefully. And let us see if we have ears to hear. Jesus said in verse 4, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. In other scriptures, he said he has ears to hear what the Spirit is saying, let him hear. So let's listen closely. First of all, there is the, the wayside hearer. The wayside hearer. Seed was sown on the wayside. And this represents the hard heart. Hear, H-E-A-R. Hear is mentioned 19 times in Matthew 13. So hearing is so important. Let him be his ears. Let him hear. Sometimes we listen, but we don't hear. Sometimes my wife tells me a thing, and I'm listening, but I'm not hearing. And she'll say later, I told you that. Yeah, I was listening, but I really wasn't hearing. I was watching the news on TV or something, or I switched off at that point. We've all done that, haven't we? All of us are guilty of that. Well, hearing is so important. He has ears to hear. Two other places Jesus said, he who has ears to hear, or it says, take heed what you hear, take heed how you hear. So hearing is important. The hardness of heart is to do with our understanding, our perception, and our reception of spiritual truths. To a person with a hard heart, they're not interested in spiritual truths. Did you ever talk to somebody and you're trying to bring the subject around to spiritual things and they look at you blankly or they clam up, wait until you clam up and move on in the conversation and you know that they have just no interest at all in what you're saying. I mean, they just switch off when you begin to talk about spiritual things. You know, it's almost as if, don't you dare preach to me. Don't you tell me about your God. I remember one time going into a hospital, a Royal Victoria Hospital in Belfast. I was visiting a gentleman. I was asked to visit him. Didn't know who he was. Never met him in my life before. He didn't know me. He never met me either. It was one of those things where if somebody calls you up and says, would you go and visit Mr. So-and-so? He's dying. So I went to see Mr. So-and-so. And as soon as I said, hi, I know you don't know me. I have never met you. My name is David. I'm a pastor. As soon as I said that, bang, he went ballistic. And he cursed and he swore and he ordered me out. And how dare you blankety blank come in to see me? And who asked you? It was a whole, I just backed off and just walked out. He just did not even remotely want to know what I had to say. He was making sure I wasn't going to say another word. Get out was basically what he was telling me, which I did. Thankfully, some months later, the person who asked me to go and visit said, you know, he relented and he's repented and actually he gave his heart to the Lord before he died. So I was glad for that. But at that moment, he didn't want to know. Now, sometimes I understand that maybe you're witnessing somebody, maybe you've done it a few times and, and the Spirit of God's convicting them, but they don't want to tell you that because they know if they tell you that, you'll be on their case, won't you? And so they just clam up and they say nothing and they just stand there hoping that you're going to move on in the conversation. But that's not necessarily a hard heart. That's just somebody who at that moment just doesn't want to continue the conversation. And somebody with a hard heart, they're not mean-spirited necessarily. They're not, I'm not a mean-spirited person. I'm just talking about somebody. They're maybe amiable. They're maybe nice people. But when it comes to spiritual things, when you talk about eternity or the gospel or the blood or Christ dying for it, they just don't want to know. This is an uncultivated heart. 
Now, fields in those days were not quite the same as fields in our day. They would be smaller for a start, and maybe around the edge of the field would be hard packed where the farmer or others would walk around. There might be a pathway up the middle of it or up the, up maybe, maybe a couple of pathways up the middle Well, either the farmer or maybe people who's taking shortcuts would go that way. Excuse me. And so there's a place that would be compacted, that would be hard. And then the, the farmer would go out with his, with his seed bag and he would take a handful of seed and he would scatter it. And some of that seed would fall on that hard ground. And that seed on the hard ground, there's no way it's going to penetrate that hard ground. It's just too hard. And here we are, we're sowing our seed. We're scattering the seed of the good news. And some of it will go onto hard ground. And it's on cultivated ground. It, it hasn't been ready to receive the seed. You know, it, before a farmer sows his seed, he has to dig up the ground, doesn't he? He has to cultivate it. He has to get it ready for the seed to go in. But this here is an uncultivated heart. And it tells us here that whenever the seed was on that ground and it could not in any way take root, it couldn't penetrate that ground, what happened? That the birds came. The birds came and devoured it. And Matthew calls Satan the wicked one, the evil one, the wicked one. And he has got birds He's got ways to devour that. And so, for example, somebody could come to the house of God and they could hear the gospel. They could hear the word of God. And they could hear that, but because their heart is, is hard, before they get out that door, <laughs> the devil would snatch that word away from them. Just so easily, so quickly. And he generally does it very quickly. Do you ever go out in your back garden and, you, and maybe you take a handful of seed or, or maybe breadcrumbs and you throw it out in the grass there? There's not a bird in sight. And by the time you walk in through the door and shut the door, suddenly dozens of birds swoop down and they eat that quickly. Where in the world did they come from? They're hiding in the bushes, waiting for that seed to be thrown down and they're in immediately. Well, that's what happens to hard hearts. Hosea 10 and 12 says, break up your fallow ground for it is time to seek the Lord. Fallow ground is ground that has lain for a long time, uncultivated. And as I said, no farmer would ever think of sowing seed in a ground that's uncultivated. You've got to dig it up. It's not going to produce anything unless that's dug up, unless it's cultivated. As believers... Let us not, for any reason, let our hearts get hard. Sometimes as believers, we, we harden our heart over some incident or some thing or somebody said something or did something, and our heart becomes hard. And the trouble with that is the Holy Spirit wants to seed us with the Word of God, but it can't get in because of the hardness of our heart. Let's not ever be like that. Let's keep our hearts cultivated. Let's hearts be open and ready to receive the seed of the word of God. Amen. Amen. Mm -hmm. Then there is the shallow heart. This is the stony ground here. Now, whenever you think of stony ground, generally what you think about, you know, if you, if you ever driven to the, around the kingdom of Mourne, around Newcastle area, 
and you'll see all those big stone dikes and, and sometimes you'll see a field and it's just full of big, big rocks. It's just, you can see them on top of the ground scattered all over the place and the wind and the rain over years has beaten down on that patch of soil there and those big stones has kind of risen to the surface. That's not what we're thinking about here. Uh, in, in certain parts where, where Jesus lived and walked, where farmers grew their crops, sometimes there was, there was rocky ground. In other words, there was a bedrock of limestone and then there was a relatively thin uh, layer of soil on top of that bedrock. And the problem is then, whenever the farmer would sow the seed on that, it would, it would grow very, very quickly. It would be immediate. You'd, you'd get a, a quick response. But because it wasn't very deep, it was shallow, it couldn't get its roots deep down in. And then when the sun came up, it scorched it. And Jesus here is likening this to those with shallow hearts. Little soil, little depth. Shallow soil, superficial growth. This is someone whose heart is excited. His heart is emotional. His heart is impressionable. And sometimes people come and they hear the gospel, they hear the word of God, and they receive it instantly. And they're excited about it, and they're emotional about it, and they're glad about it, and they grab it. And you think, wonderful, they've really got it, they're really truly saved. Well, let's just give it a little while. Let's see the depths of that profession. Now, we as preachers, we're probably guilty more than anybody else of this. We just so want to see people come to the Lord, and sometimes people put their hand up, and they come to the front, or they get you to pray in a room or somewhere, and you're excited about that, and you think they've made their decision, they've, they've come to Christ tonight. Then you learn, well, let's just give that a little bit more time because maybe they've got a shallow heart. Maybe they were excited at the time. Maybe they felt good at the time. Maybe even cried at the time. Maybe were glad and hugged you at the time. But then after a week or two weeks or a month or three months, they're gone. You never see them again. Couldn't talk to them. It was a shallow heart. A shallow heart. Had no risen itself. No endurance. Fades quickly, promises much but produces little, easily offended, easily stumbled, receives it immediately, but then just as quickly walks off and quits. That's the shallow heart. And all of us have seen that in people's lives over the years. You know, you're excited, you thought, well, this is it. That person's come to the Lord. I'm really excited about that. Wonderful. Good. Let's just give it some time. Let's see how that develops. And if you see it developing and you see them deepening and you see them growing, wonderful. You know they've really got it. Their heart isn't shallow. There's some depth to that. The, the roots has got deeper in. Unless those roots get deep down in, then the first sign of trouble the persecution rises for the word's sake, Jesus said. If something happens, if they have to take a stand in the workplace or at university or at school or whatever the case may be or in their home among their neighbors or their family, if they have to take a stand for the word's sake, that's the test. And if they can't do that, it's because the heart is shallow. It's because the roots haven't really gone deep at all, easily stumbled. 
Remember in John 6, Jesus was preaching to a big crowd and he was really, really, he was, I mean, he was, he was preaching hard that day. I mean, he, he was calling for real commitment, really challenging sermon. And you know, he wasn't feeding them bread that day. He wasn't giving them miracles. He was just challenging them about their lives. And it says, from that point, many walked away and no more walked with him. They just drifted away. And Jesus turned around to his disciples and said, would you go away also? <laughs> would you go away also? You see, there were shallow hearts. Jesus is looking at this vast crowd in front of him, and he knows there are four kinds of hearts he's preaching to. He knows that. He knows there's hard hearts. He knows there's shallow hearts. And here they are. And then there is the distracted heart. This is the thorny soil here. The distracted heart. Someone said that the first seed was on the ground, but not in it. The second seed was on and in, but not down. The third seed, thorny ground, was on it and in it and down, but not up. <laughs> Because the weeds choked it. The weeds choked it. Now, weeds are marvelous things, aren't they? <laughs> Not. <laughs> I mean, you don't have to do anything with weeds. They, they just grow of their own accord. Just let them go and they will just thrive. But the trouble is, those good seeds that are sown on thorny ground will not thrive. Because seed needs a lot of care and attention and work. And when that little seedling comes up and sprouts up, then you've got to be really careful with it. You may have to keep watering it and maybe fertilize it. And then when it goes up a bit more, there's maybe pests will attack it, green fly, you've got to deal with that. So it, it, it's tender, you've got to watch it, you've got to nurture it, you've got to fertilize it, you've got to make sure it grows. But weeds you do nothing with. Just, they'll just go on their own. No effort required. And spiritually, it's like that too. For us to grow spiritually, require attention. You need some disciplines. You have to read the Word of God. You have to spend time alone with the Lord. You have to be in the house of God. You have to do all. These are all disciplines that God gives us to do in order for our spiritual life to grow. I mean, <laughs> weeds doesn't need any attention. They'll just grow anyway. And if we want to live like that, then we'll just blow with the breeze. That's easy. But this requires discipline. If we want the good seed to produce in our lives, then we don't get distracted. Too many people, they allow everything to claim their time and their energies and their affections. And this is the type of person who's living on thorny soil. And Jesus points out three things here that distracts. The cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches. And in Mark 4, where this same parable is told, he said, the desire of other things entering in choke the word. The cares of this world, even legitimate cares. And all of us has legitimate cares. All of us has stuff to deal with in our every single day lives. Can't avoid it. We've got to deal with it. That's okay. But the danger is that we end up with too many things 
piled on that we end up dealing with so many things that we haven't time for our spiritual lives. And we suffer. We don't have time anymore to pray, time anymore to read, time anymore to do this, or time anymore to go to church. And before you know it, those weeds are choking the spiritual life out of you. And that's not good. Undue excessive attention to non-spiritual things. Jesus says, Martha, Martha, you are cumbered about many things. You're anxious. You're busy, busy, busy with many, many things. Legitimate things. Making food for the master. I mean, you couldn't any more legitimate than that. I mean, that's good. But at that moment, Jesus wasn't wanting food. His disciples were sitting at his feet. Even Mary was sitting at his feet. And he says, she has chosen the good part. She's done the right thing here. There'll be time for eating. There'll be time for food later. You're going to be busy later. But right now, I sit at my feet. That's what he's saying. But you see, she was distracted. Distracted heart. And the trouble with that is, if you keep that up, then the thorns will begin to choke your spiritual life. The deceitfulness of riches. Paul writes to young Timothy in 1 Timothy 6. Timothy was the pastor of the church at Ephesus at that time, which was probably the biggest church at that time. So he had big responsibility. And he was a youngish man. And Paul warns him about the deceitfulness of riches. Ephesus was quite an affluent place. If you ever, anybody ever visited Ephesus in Turkey, you get an idea of the size it is and the buildings they had. And if you can imagine what it must have been like then, it was a metropolis. And so there was all kinds of temptations. And one of them, I suppose, was, was prosperity. And, and Paul warns him. He says, be careful. Be careful about the riches. He says, many gets pulled away and the persons go through with many arrows because of that. So get it in perspective. It's all right if God blesses you with that, but make sure that that's not what you're chasing. That's not what you're really, really after. Seek first the kingdom of God and all these things shall be added unto you. But that's not our whole aim in life. That's what he's saying. Remember the rich young ruler in Mark 10 who came to Jesus and he wanted to know about eternal life and Jesus mentioned some of the, the, the Ten Commandments. He says, oh yeah, I've kept all them. Huh. Then Jesus put his finger right in the pulse. That was as he loved the young man and he tested him. He says, I'll tell you what, he says, he says, take what you have, sell the whole lot and give to the poor and come, take up your cross and follow me. <laughs> and at that moment, says the young man had many riches. At that moment, he declined and he walked off and he's gone because the riches had him. There's nothing wrong with him having the riches. The riches had him. And Jesus knew that. And he loved him, but he knew that's what was holding him back. That was the one thing he needed to do. And, and my guess is, if he had said, Lord, yes, I'll do that right away, Jesus probably would have said, you don't need to. I just was testing your heart. Because I know now you don't have, that's not holding your heart from following me. But it was holding his heart. And he didn't follow Jesus. You see, it was a distracted heart. The cares of this word, the deceitfulness of riches, the desire of other things entering in choke the word, Mark 4, 19. 
the desire of other things. Demas has forsaken me having loved this present world. Demas has forsaken me because of the desire of other things, Paul could have said. Entered in and choked the word. He's alongside the greatest preacher that ever walked the face of the earth. Was mentored, being mentored by the greatest preacher alive. And yet there was something about the world entered in that choked the word in his life. And he stopped following Paul and he stopped following the Lord. Disappeared. Gone off the pages of scripture, never to be mentioned ever again. So there is the hard heart, the shallow heart. There is the distracted heart. But then there is the reproductive heart. This is the good soil here. This seed was on, it was in, it was down, and it was up. <laughs> the sowing was good, the seed was good, the soil was good. And whenever the seed is sown in good soil, it will for sure produce something. It will. It's guaranteed. If the soil is good and it's ready and it's prepared and it's cultivated, when the good seed is thrown into that soil, it will grow. It will produce. That's what Jesus is saying. This heart is receptive, unlike the hard heart. This heart is responsive, unlike the shallow heart. This heart is retentive, unlike the distracted heart. This heart is reproductive. It reproduces again and again and again. Some 30-fold, some 60-fold, some 100-fold. You know, the greatest joy that any pastor has, and they'll tell you this, the greatest joy that we have in our calling is to see people grow in grace in Christ. To see people grow in grace in Christ. To see seed being sown in good soil. And just to see the growth of that. And I can look around the church and I can see that again and again and again. Yes, there was some in the past who had hard hearts and shallow hearts and thorny hearts and they're gone. But then I see others whose soil was good. And when that seed went into that soil, then I seen the growth. And I'd seen the transformation. You know, and, and if a pastor, until the day he dies, the one consolation he's got among all the things he's ever done for God, is this one thing, somebody got it. Somebody ran with it. Somebody, that seed grew in them, and now they're living for Christ, or maybe working for the kingdom, or doing something for God, loving the Lord. That gives you great pleasure, because then you feel at least that was accomplished. If nothing else, at least I'll get rewarded for that. <laughs> if that's the only thing, thank God, I'll get a crown for that. Glory to God. Is your heart productive? Am I sowing on good ground? Are you hearing? Are you hearing? Let me ask you this. Close in a moment. Let me ask you this. Before you come to church, either Saturday night or Sunday morning, do you ever stop a moment and say, Lord, today I want my heart to be open to the good seed of the Word of God. I want my heart to be open for the seed to fall into my heart to bear fruit in my life. 
Because if you do, then God will find a seed for your heart. See, in any one sermon, people can get different things out of it. Be a different seed in your heart than somebody else's heart. And if you allow that to grow and you nurture that, fruit will come from that. Do you take a scripture, maybe a psalm, maybe a parable, maybe something Jesus said, do you take a scripture and chew on it, mull over it, meditate upon it, think about it? Because if you do, if you do, then I, I guarantee you at some point the Holy Spirit will take that word and show it to you. That's why sometimes you read the word of God, you've read a passage a thousand times and suddenly one day it just lights up to you and you thought, I never saw that ever before. But that's what the Holy Spirit does. That's that seed has got in and that's producing some fruit in your life. Let me close with this. And this is a bit shocking actually. But in a way, even though it's challenging, in a way it's comforting. Notice what he said in verse 8. But others fell on good ground and yielded a crop, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. Hmm. Four types of soil, but only one of the four produced anything. Think of that. Jesus preached in a vast crowd and he knows he's preaching to four different types of heart. And only one of those four hearts will produce anything. The hard heart, nothing. The shallow heart, nothing. The thorny heart, nothing. 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 Only the good soil. It's the only thing produced. So only one of the four of the soils produced anything. <laughs> and even the one of the four that produced, some of it was a hundredfold, some was thirtyfold, some was sixtyfold. Now this is challenging because whether it's me preaching or you testifying or you sharing with people, maybe in your workplace or whatever, only one in four responds. You'll only find one of those four hearts that will bear any fruit. That's challenging, isn't it? You say, would that not put you off preaching, David? No, because I don't know what hearts are going to be hard or shallow or thorny or good. My job is to preach it. My job is to sow the seed. I'm not responsible for their hard heart or their shallow heart or their thorny heart. I'm not responsible for that. My responsibility is, is to sow the word. And thank God if I keep sowing the word, then it will respond. There'll be good seed and good soil. And it'll be the same for you. Our responsibility is to sow the seed. I can't change the hearts of people. Only the Holy Spirit can do that. And that's a reason, by the way, why we should be praying for unsaved loved ones who have hard hearts, who's not interested in what you have to say about the Lord. If you keep praying for them, for the Holy Spirit to somehow or other begin to soften their hearts and break up that hard soil so that then when you share, that word will begin to take root. But thank God for those that I can see that has got the good hearts the good soil and you're producing 30 fold 60 fold 100 fold I know that every time I share the word of God 
I know it's not always going to be a hundredfold return. I know that. I know that. But that doesn't stop me sharing it. That doesn't stop me preaching and teaching it. Because that's what I got to do. Because out there somewhere, that'll be good seed and good soil. Whether that's among us or whether that's those listening to us out there, that'll be good seed and good soil. And it'll take root. And then that will begin to grow and begin to prosper. Amen? Amen. So be encouraged today. Your job is to sow the seed, is to share the word of God, to give your testimony, to talk to people. Do that there and leave the results to God. You can't change those hearts. Only the Holy Spirit can move those hearts. But your job is to sow the seed and trust God it's going to find good, fertile soil to grow in. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we give you thanks for your word, the seed of your word, the incorruptible seed of the word of God. We thank you that it's great power to change lives today. And so we pray that as we scatter the seed, that it'll find a resting place, find a good soil, and it'll grow into fruit, into life eternal. Thank you, Lord, for every one, Lord, who has received it in good soil. Thank you for the fruit of that, in all of our lives here today, we bless you and we give you thanks for it. In Christ's name, amen.